Blog Talk Radio. Funky, Funky Writers Show is now in the air. My name is Robert Batista, and with over 200 episodes in cyberspace, the Funky Writers Show is now a cultural icon. Our guests have ranged from big-name authors who have hit movies made from their books to up-and-coming writers publishing their first story. And what do we all have in common? the love for the written word. Connect with us on our exciting Twitter page by going to at the funky writer. I fear this darkness here. What could be out there? What is that? A swooping shape that makes no sound appearing out of some black corner of my room and dipping closer to my head with each pass seeking me out by hearing my breathing, and I hold the air in my lungs until they burst and frothy blood bubbles up and over my lips, and that is the way I finally die. Sleep never comes on nights like tonight, and in the morning I wonder what happened the previous evening, if I lived through something horrible or if it was all a mere nightmare. Or maybe I will not remember at all. This is an excerpt from one of the many fascinating stories written by today's guest. His name is Jake Walters. Welcome to the Funky Writer Show, Jake Walters. Thank you, Robert. It's great to be here. So, Jake, I have to start off by asking you how's life going in Transylvania? Are you anywhere near that infamous castle, and have you seen the ghost of Bram Stoker hanging around lately? Uh, well, you know, I spent uh, about seven years in Transylvania, first with the Peace Corps, uh, but I'm currently out in Gallup, New Mexico, uh, which is a change that I made about two months ago. I can say that I was near many of those old crumbling castles, in Transylvania. Uh, I can't say that I saw Bram Stoker's ghost, but I did fall in love with him. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a book that was. I loved it. It um, really is. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Spine tingling. Even And I think he wrote it in 1898, which is which is so amazing. Um, yeah, Jake, he, I he noticed... first took a trip... Uh-huh. 
Well, I was just going to say, first took a trip through Transylvania, uh, where he was inspired for that novel. I lived in Cluj for three years. That's one of the cities that he mentions in the book, actually. Mm, Interesting, interesting. Yeah, uh, I always remember the character Lucy. (laughs) She always sticks out in my mind. Anyway, uh, Jake, I noticed you have several pieces written that you've written online. What would you say is your specific genre? What type of writer would you call yourself? That's a good question. Uh, I guess most of the writing I've done is short stories, and most of the short stories that I've written have been in the horror genre. Uh, But I've, I guess, more recently started to write in other forms and other genres, screenplays, uh, poetry, even though I suck at it, uh, a bit of nonfiction as well. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, okay, so it it was hard for me to to pencil uh, you in on, on your genre, so thanks for clearing that up. You know, Jake, many authors I talk to, myself included, actually started writing as children and tweens. Um, When did you start, and what were some of your first early writings about, Jake? Well, first, I guess I was a storyteller. Uh, Maybe not even that good at telling stories, but I loved telling stories, which I guess is the most important thing, especially for a young writer. Uh, The first couple of stories I wrote were all horror stories. I can remember writing the the school bus when I was in second grade and I I would just make up stories on the spot and tell them to these girls uh, at the back of the bus and they they loved it. You know, they were shrieking back there. Uh, And that that probably had had something to do with my eventual love uh, for, for telling stories and eventually for writing. So what attracted you back then to horror? I mean, were you a a horror movie fan back then? Yeah, horror movies, of course, Night of the Living Dead was probably the first good horror movie that I ever saw, Uh, and it affected me deeply. Uh, Of course, I was probably eight years old at the time, and what eight-year-old wouldn't (laughs) be affected? Uh, I do love horror. I think that you can learn a lot of things from it about yourself, about the human condition. What scares you, I think, is largely what defines you. But more than that, they're just fun. Horror stories are are fun to me. So it seems like you are very comfortable, Jake, writing the short story and writing flash fiction. How did this type of writing become the style that, that you like to do? What what draws you to this uh, type of writing? Well, I guess it's a bit difficult for me to say. Uh, when I first started writing, when I was probably 14 or 15 years old, started doing it more seriously. Uh, you know, a short story is just a lot more manageable as far as the length goes. Uh, there aren't too many 14-year-olds that sit down and write novels. I certainly wasn't one. And granted, my early short stories sucked, too, pretty badly. Uh, but you kind of grow from there to the point where short stories are no longer the easier thing to write, but rather the the harder thing to write. Hmm. That's, that's uh, good to know. 
um, many feel, Jake, that writing shorties are more satisfying because you tell a basically complete story in a brief and condensed amount of writing, as you stated, but still leave the reader rewarded. How do you feel about this? Well, I do agree. Uh, As a reader, speaking as a reader anyway, I've felt some very great satisfaction from some really excellently written short stories. Uh, Maybe one of the best short stories ever written, especially in the horror genre, I think, is The Monkey's Paw by W.W. Jacobs. Just the idea behind it is genius. It's very well executed. I love the language. It's a bit old. Uh, And since then, uh, I think our horror writers have just expanded on the craft and made it even better. Stephen King is an excellent example. I think especially in his early works, you have short stories like Children of the Corn or something like The Moving Finger, which is just inexplicably good. Uh, And those have been, they've kept me up at night in the best and worst of ways, I guess. Now, you said the monkey's paw. Who did you say wrote that again? W.W. Jacobs. W.W. Jacobs. Okay, that's something I'm going to look out for. Uh, Jake, my goal when writing micro and short stories is to hit them hard and get their complete attention from the first line, from the jump, so to speak, then top it off with a dynamitely powerful ending. How do you go about writing yours, or does that matter to you that much? Well, I think what you just said about the uh, big bang of an opening is important when you're writing a very long novel as well. Uh, And, of course, regardless of the length of what you're writing, I think the ending needs to leave the reader with some level of satisfaction. Uh, How do I approach it? I I guess I just try to, to write the best way that I can and know how and sometimes that leads to a very explosive opening and I think that that's a good thing and at other times you leave the reader snoozing essentially and that's when you know you've lost well speaking of how you write you have graciously agreed to read one of your stories for us can you set up the piece before you read it sure I'm going to read two flash fiction pieces for you. One uh, called How to Bury Your Lover was published in Camrock Press Review. And they just recently, about a year ago, stopped publishing things, which is, which is really too bad because they published a lot of very good, very short flash fiction. The other thing that I'm going to read for you is Moonflowers. It's called Moonflowers. It was published in Fractured West, number four, a few years ago. And uh, they're about these flowers, moon flowers. I don't know if you're familiar with these, but apparently they only bloom at night. And even though I wrote it a long time ago, I, I think that just that idea of a flower that only blooms at night was kind of captivating to me. Yeah, yeah. That's the first I'm hearing of that. So, yeah, go ahead. Unless I just made that whole idea up, which is possible, but I'm pretty sure that moonflowers are a real thing. (laughs) I guess I'll begin with uh, How to Bury Your Lover. This one's a bit darker, uh, 
but that's all right. And, and before I read them, I guess I'll also point out that uh, next year uh, I'll have a a novel published by Rebel E Publishers, and this will be a romance novel by the name of Escape from Bliss. I'm not really a romance writer as far as I ever considered myself. Maybe I really am. It will be published under a pseudonym, Jacob Lucas Luciano. And I chose these two, yeah, I, I chose these two uh, writings today because I think they more closely match uh, Jacob Lucas Luciano's style or mindset, I guess, even before Luciano existed. So I'll begin with how to bury your lover. Okay. First, you will need first you will need a shovel. And form of the whole will be subconsciously determined by the types of feelings you still have for her lying secret in your heart. If you still love her and respect her, it will be big and deep, well-shaped, even, neat. The bottom will be level, so she lies flat. You will cross her arms, kiss her knuckles, close her eyes. Other holes are made hastily, earth crumbling into them, falling into the darkness of the grave to make her pillow. I know those types of holes well. At any rate, the digging is the easy part. In certain ways, you began digging it as soon as you first saw her. She smiled at you. You began speaking. And sometime later, a week, an hour, years, your lips met, and it was soft and kind, and already you were forming the hole for her, and she for you. So you have had time. And it comes. It comes in bright colors and garish noise, and you dig on pure adrenaline, scooping out wet dirt and tossing it wildly to the jungle of tombs surrounding your latest work. Blow her in, or dump her in, or kick her in. No matter how you do it, you will feel empty afterward. Now, the hardest part, filling the grave. No coffins are allowed, nor are any type of protective layer. You must make her dirty. You owe it to her to sully her. And when you've filled the hole to the brim, you must slam the shovel down into the earth like you are trying to crush diamonds or memories or hearts. I tell you these things because you have come across me digging tonight. It is a private act you have caught me committing. If I had heard you coming, I would have run, hidden behind another grave or a tree, or jumped the fence and never turned back. And then where would I be? Once the hole has been created, it must be used. So let us stand here and survey my work. You see its shape is perfect, almost artful. You see the earth is soft here, not for my comfort, but for hers. She is an angel I never deserved. What an affront to the heart it is to destroy something, not because it is not good enough for you, but because it is too good for you. I am going to lie down now. I'm going to close my own eyes. I'm going to confer. I'm going to wait for the moon to go away. I'm going to ask you to fill this hole for me. Mm. So that was How to Bury Your nice. Lover. Uh, trust me, it's a metaphor. There's no reality uh, to it. I, I, yeah, I got that, man. But, uh, yeah, I was with you. It was pretty good. Um, and the next one is The Moonflower. next one is called Moonflowers. It's from Fractured West. They were married for 30 years, and like any marriage, they created a kind of secret world with each other, not altogether exciting, but still with a language of its own, shared jokes and rhythm, 
both bent over the bathroom sink in the mornings as they brushed their teeth. He was much taller than her and took care not to bump into her as he put dishes away in the kitchen. Sometimes he looked at her and wondered how she spent her inner life, that inside part of her that nobody got to see, not even God. Was what they had love? She had a garden behind the garage and knew she often spent her days there pulling weeds, carrying small buckets of water. Stay here with me, he sometimes cried her at breakfast, smiling. But after coffee, she would stand, now more slow than ever before, and kiss him softly on the forehead and go out to tend the plants. He watched go and wondered what drew her back day after day. She started to disappear nights, and when she came back, sometimes shivering from the cold, he would wrap himself around her and feel pity. Where were you? he asked, but she would never answer. One day he followed her as she left. It was already dark, and as soon as he stepped out the back door, he knew where she was going. He crept around the garage and peered from behind the corner. She was crouched at the far end of the garden, unmoving. He was unsure she was real until his eyes adjusted to the dark. When he was sure, he went to her. What is he doing? These only bloom at night, she said without looking up at him. I've never seen it happen. He looked down at the flowers, all clenched tight like little fists. For she had kept these plants here. He felt his knees pop as he crouched down beside her. Then they collapsed together onto the soft earth, still watching the flowers. He told her he would wait with her. He told her they could stay all night if they had to. So that's moonflowers. Hmm. Interesting. So, um, thanks for that, by the way. Um, let's talk sure. about Jake sure. Walters. Let's talk about Jake Walters, the person. Where did you grow okay. up, Jake, and what was your childhood like? I grew up in Michigan, southeast Michigan. I was born in Ann Arbor. When I was about five, we moved to a more rural area south of there. So I lived kind of a country life, I guess you could say. I, I did a lot of fishing, a lot of running around outside, played a lot of sports. It was a pretty typical childhood, I guess, nothing too extraordinary about it. What were some of the books and authors that inspired you in your youth? I know you mentioned a couple. Um, what were some others? I, wow, the range is so big. I still remember the first time I read Where the Wild Things Are, and that was a major book for me. And lo, these many years later, I, in going to Romania, we turned it into a, a play, a dramatic kind of enactment of it on stage with some third graders and fourth graders. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I guess that brings it full circle for me. But other books that have been with me, I, I remember going into the public library. I was probably a teenager at this time. And just pulling a book off the shelf at random, complete random, except for the fact that it was probably because it was so thin. And, you know, that seems like less of a risk, I suppose. Not to be the prophet by Khalil Gibran, which to this day remains my favorite book. Uh, even though I can't write anything like Khalil Gibran can write or could write. Uh, he being a Lebanese author in the first place, uh, 
And I think he wrote that book originally in English, which is just a whole other amazing feat in my mind. Uh, but I guess to answer your question in the end, uh, all the books that I've read, all the stories that I've read or have been read to me have affected me in one way or the other. And I think that's just kind of uh, a sense that you have when you like telling stories, you also like listening to stories. When you like writing, you also like reading. And so all the stories that you come in contact with, be they good or really bad, still have some effect on you and your abilities as a storyteller. So I'd like to talk a little bit about your time in Romania. Um, uh, I was curious on what drew you there, and now I, earlier you said that you had joined the Peace Corps and um, you went over there. Uh, talk about how that whole thing happened. From Why did you decide to join the Peace Corps? You know, I wanted to, to change the world. I was a bit younger. I guess we all still want to change the world. We're maybe a bit more realistic about it. And besides that, I wanted to travel. When you apply to the Peace Corps, they ask you, where would your first choice in all the world be where the Peace Corps serves? And you can list what your preferences would be. Mine was the Pacific Islands. And when they got back to me, they said there was no Pacific Island position open. But they do have something in Romania. Would I like to go? And at this point, if you really had your heart set on a particular place, the application process is so long and trying. You're going to see doctors. You're getting, you know, references. All these things are being taken right. care of. That really, you're, you're, I think, more willing to accept any place that they're willing to offer you. And that's kind of the attitude that I had at that point, um, because Romania is not was not at that time a priority for me. I mean, the idea of Romania is kind of this gray, cold, dreary place. <laughs> but I accepted it anyway, and I'm very glad that I did because it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful country. The people are some of the nicest people I've ever met. I'm still friends with a great deal of them. And... And really, if if you're looking to go to a place, uh, you're not. If you don't mind flying a great distance, I would recommend that you try Romania out. Once I was there, the Peace Corps is, uh, you know, a 27-month commitment. And at the end of that, I just decided to stay. Stayed for another year, working with uh, this organization called Ovidioro, which works with essentially with gypsy kids to get them into school. And was, we had a lot of success with that program. And after that year, I kind of bounced around a little bit and eventually made it back to Romania where I taught English for three years. And that kind of concludes the whole Romania segment of my life, at least up to the current point. Wow, that's good to know about Romania. You know, you think uh, you have so many pre-notions and misconceptions of Romania, and, uh, you know, you're just uh, explaining that um, really shed some light on how, how nice it is. So how was the experience, Jake, of writing in Romanian, and compare it to writing in English? What are its differences uh, to you? 
Yeah, it's very interesting to me I, because the Romanian language, very beautiful language. It's a Romance language. Uh, I guess not too far from Italian. Fairly okay. difficult to learn. And it took me, after moving there, about a year before I was comfortable in it. And still, of course, of course nowhere near fluency. Uh, after about two years, I guess I could have called myself fluent. And, of course, all the years after that only made me better with the language. And at this point, I think I'm, I, I could probably pass for a native with my speaking abilities and my listening abilities, but my writing abilities are not at that level. Uh, or probably my reading abilities. I've heard from a lot of people who are learning second languages that, well, I can read it, and I can understand it, but I, I can't speak it or write it. Uh, I always found the reading very difficult, though, because the vocabulary in any written thing is going to be very different from the vocabulary we use when we speak. But I thought that after I attained a certain level of mastery of the language that I'd be able to write just as well in Romanian as I can in English because to me, writing is just kind of a, a logical process and the most important part of it isn't the actual words or the syntax but the content of what you're saying and I thought that would extend to Romanian with me but it, it simply didn't I tried getting published in several journals there, some of which I thought were fairly low end, and I, they just said I wasn't good enough. I don't like a second grader or a third grader in Romanian. And I mean, at least I could say I've been rejected in two languages now. Uh, in English, I've probably <laughs> been rejected hundreds of times. In Romanian, I've only been rejected maybe eight times. But, uh, well, it's probably about the same as far as my chances of being published in any particular language. I noticed, Jake, a good deal of your works are published online in places like the Saturday Evening Post, the Forge, literary magazines, and such. Um, Jake, how is the process done for you? How did you get published in these prestigious places? Uh, the first place I was published was at Eastern Michigan University. They have or used to have a literary journal. I was really happy uh, to be published there, just even though they didn't pay anything. was kind of a thrill in itself. And it really has been a very usual story as far as uh, the journals I've been published in since then, they've kind of steadily gotten better over the years. I think any of the early ones paid, and as you kind of progress, they do start to pay you not enough to live on. Uh, I'm a school teacher by day. And right. I think writing writing pays even worse than school teaching, which doesn't pay too well in, in and of itself. But uh, as far as prestigious journals go and I haven't been seen in, in the really prestigious ones yet anyway uh, you just write something that you think is, is good enough put your best shot put it through a thorough edit 
and generally stuff with the the best magazines that you think would 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 possibly consider it for acceptance. And as they reject, you, you send it out to a greater variety of journals that are probably not quite as prestigious. And every now and again, one of them lands lands with a good editor, somebody who, who really connects with it, and they take it on, and that's your good luck. And what about what I call the 800-pound gorilla in the room? And that is marketing. So many authors spend so much time writing and publishing their books and stories, but have no clue on how and what it entails to market it. How do you handle marketing and publicizing of your work? Well, you know, it really is a new world for writers when it comes to that. I think probably 30 years ago, writers were not expected to do much in terms of their own publicity. Um, right now, and I probably, I'm certainly not the expert at this sort of thing. All you need to do is look at my YouTube channel, how few views it has. But I do have a YouTube channel. I have Facebook, of course, and Twitter, and uh, I guess that's really all I have as far as social media goes. And you kind of slowly build on those things as well. Uh, That's an effort for me. It doesn't come naturally to me. And, you know, with publicity and marketing, you feel a bit like, I don't know, you're, you're whoring yourself out because you're, you know, begging for people to read this, say, look at my channel, so on and so forth. And I don't think that's comfortable for anybody, except for maybe a very small population uh, percentage of the population who do actually enjoy that sort of thing, but I certainly do not. But I give it my best shot, and I try to interact with as many readers as I possibly can. So let's talk about social media. Uh, you just mentioned you're on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and such. Um, Jake, of all these social media platforms that you are on, which one do you feel is the most beneficial for your brand? And which, in your estimation, is the best for writers? Or does each platform to you offer its own special compensation? Well, I, of course, I think every platform offers its own special compensation. Uh, my YouTube channel, for example, has nothing to do with writing, really. Uh, it's more of a, a musical thing. I, I post basically me at the piano singing songs. Uh, and I think that if you're an amateur musician who's trying to be discovered, YouTube is, is clearly the, the best of those platforms that we've mentioned. Twitter is good for... Throwing little quick thoughts out there or directing your readers to a particular link that you'd like them to explore. And at least in my experience, Facebook is probably the most personable of them. I mean, you can show your personality, different facets of it. Although I think we know that most people are just lying about their personality on Facebook. Uh, maybe, I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't say that, play that far, but I think that that's a big part of it. But then again, what does a writer accept for a liar? We make up stories in our heads, and we, we try to get people to, if not believe them, then at least enjoy them. In closing, 
if someone who's never read Jake Walters, any of his stories, and wanted to pick one up and get to know you, which one of your pieces would you recommend they read first and why? That that's way too difficult a question. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> uh, it would be difficult for me to say. It really would. Um, if we're looking at the short stories, there's this short story I wrote years ago that I never thought would be published anywhere. It's called God's Clay, and it's about an escaped slave. It takes place pre-Civil War era in the United States. And he's searching for this house where he has heard that escaped slaves are taken care of uh, by this white family in Pennsylvania. And he finds the house, and it turns out that the guy is this madman and believes that if he cuts off uh, a a body part from each escapee that comes through his house, he can make his own slave, essentially, through some dark magic. But the hero of our story... uh, finds this kind of Frankenstein slave in progress and kills the, the white guy and sticks his heart in there and turns him into the slave. Uh, and I would say that would be a good piece to read, although it's a bit strange and maybe controversial in a lot of ways. Uh, nonetheless, I think that story is a lot of fun. And I think that uh, if you like that one, you will like the other stuff that I've written. And if you don't like that one, uh, you probably just won't speak with me again. But <laughs> some of the stuff that we write can lose us some friends. I guess that's okay. Mm-hmm. Sure, I don't think it was that difficult a question. You uh, didn't have any problem <laughs> answering it, you know. And uh, that story definitely sounds uh, a re- as a really good read as into who you are. Um, so what's, na- what's next for Jake Walters? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? I know you did uh, novels and screenplays and other stuff. Uh, what, what is your next project? Well, I'm, I've started writing. I guess I'm about halfway through writing another romance novel. Once you write one, you know, you can't stop. Uh, and that's, I wish I could say that that's fun, <laughs> but it's really really turning into a bit of a slog because, uh, you know, you hit those difficult parts of a book and uh, time is, is pressing. You don't feel like you have enough time to really get into the creative process. So that's kind of the current project, and I assume it will be the next project for who knows how long. At the same time, uh, we do have a screenplay uh, in Hollywood. It's with a producer, Bonnie Burgess. And that seems to be moving forward. It's not with the director, but I can't uh, really get into it too far because uh, just the way these things work. Uh, But writing that screenplay was a lot of fun. Wrote it with Daniel Phillips, and we wrote it while I was still in Romania. He was a a teaching colleague in the same city as myself. He's from Scotland. And it's a completely different process writing a screenplay from fiction. Fiction for me is like this, you know, very isolated, alone, uh, very difficult thing to do. Whereas writing a screenplay, I've always written them with other people, most successfully with, with Dan, and we just have a lot of fun with it. So probably we'll write some other screenplays over Skype 
uh, in the in the coming months, and we'll see what we can do with those. Yeah, it seems like that collaboration on the on the screenplays are, are something you really enjoy. So, um, Jake, uh, how do people get a hold of you if they want to contact you? Um, give out any uh, websites. Any uh, how can they follow you? Give out any way that you can be contacted, please. All right. Well, I, I guess first you could always find Facebook. Uh, there's no author or anything, no author mark there, but I'm just Jake Walters. Give me a search. Uh, my profile pic is black and white. Probably won't be too hard to find me. On Twitter, I'm at Walters underscore Jake. And, of course, there's my YouTube channel as well, which is just under my name, Jake Walters. This has been the Funky Writers Show with me, Robert Batista. One of the easiest ways to peer into my soul is to download and read my free micro story called My Baby Has No Name from Smashwords.com. My guest has been the dynamic writer, Jake Walters. Thank you so much, Jake, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. My pleasure. Loved it. It was great. Have a great evening, Jake. Bye now. Okay, you too. Thanks so much. Bye.